fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist churches. And now, here's Pastor Garrett. Well, happy Sabbath, saints. It's always a blessing to be here in the house of God with you. You know, I was remembering when I was a lot younger than I am now, I remember preaching for the first few times and the excitement that that was. And in my young mind, I don't think I understood the responsibility that it carried. And I remember going to a little country church very similar to this one in a small town called Leavenworth, Washington, and getting behind the pulpit there and right behind the pulpit where only those that are on the platform can see it, there was a plaque and the plaque simply said, sir, that we would see Jesus. That's, that's all it said, sir, that we would see Jesus. And truly, that's why we're here today. Amen. We're not here to see the pastor. We're not here to see one another, although that is important. I'm not trying to lessen that. But the real reason that we are here is to worship God. He is the reason for coming together, although I know that fellowshipping with each other is important. And I enjoy that just as much as the next guy. But I know that as we read the Word of God, He is literally talking to us. And what a privilege that truly is. Let's have a word of prayer before we get started this morning. Father, Lord, we thank You so much for not only bringing us through this past year, but Father, being with us the entire time teaching us lessons through trials and triumphs. Father, speaking to us as individuals and as a church. Lord, as we open this word today, the living word of God, we ask that we would understand the lessons that come from on high. Father, hide me behind your truth. Speak as you can. And Father, we just ask that we would leave this place not just feeling good, but feeling convicted and wishing to do something about it. Not because we simply want to check something off of a list, but because we're motivated by our love for you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, the past few weeks, we have been taking a look at different roads in the Bible. And today we're going to be taking a look at the Emmaus Road this week, and we've gone through some really important topics. We took a look at Jesus being the only way to salvation. We took a look at the Messianic Road, them shouting, Hosanna. I don't think we did that here, but last time I was here, we took a look at Jesus Christ going from being praised and adored by the crowds to that same crowd yelling, crucify him 
crucify him. As he was paraded before the Sanhedrin and as he was there before Pontius Pilate, the question was asked, would you prefer Jesus Barabbas or Jesus of Nazareth? And the crowd was faced with the dilemma and the choice of whether they valued a political savior or they valued a spiritual savior. And the demons in that crowd influenced them to shout, give us Barabbas, and also blame the future generations for their decision as well. And we look at the horror of that. But today we're going to be taking a look at the road to Emmaus or the Emmaus road. And there's so much that we can learn here. I'm really excited to look at this with you guys today. Next time that we're here, we'll take a look at the Gaza road. This is the road of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then the Damascus road, the conversion of Saul. And then finally, the saints half hour trip to heaven where by God's grace, all of us will be. So anyway, let's go ahead and take a look here. Picture, if you will, the disciples had just seen their savior, their best friend, the one in who all their hope had been crucified and his body had disappeared. Now, for quite some time, Jesus had been telling his disciples in symbols, but also very clearly where there was no black and white, but just right to the edge. He had been telling them what his purpose on earth was. He had been telling them explicitly, I have come here for one purpose, and that purpose is to die for the salvation of my children. And the disciples, either that went straight over their head, or they were not willing to listen to it, or they thought it meant something else. But when Jesus was crucified, the promise of his resurrection and the promise of his death as well had been largely forgotten by his closest disciples, his closest confidants. However, we do know that there were some people that were listening that weren't necessarily a part of the inner circle of the disciples. We find it in Matthew chapter 27. It says, Now the next day, Jesus is dead now, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together to Pilate. Now this is interesting. What day follows the preparation day? Anybody? It's the Sabbath. So these religious leaders are coming together to talk what would be considered to be a very secular topic. So you can see that their observance of the Sabbath here is kind of shaking a little bit. They're more worried about something else. So they come together and they have a meeting and they say this, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Now, this is fascinating. These men do not claim at all that they believe that Jesus is going to resurrect. Now, deep inside their mind, they might think this could happen, but that's not what they let on. They say the disciples may come and steal his body, which I guess would have been a theory, but I find it very interesting that Christ's enemies were listening to Jesus even more than his disciples were. Isn't that awful? 
I mean, Jesus had been speaking these things to his inner circle, and they should have been counting down the days until the resurrection of their Savior, but instead, they were in despair and in a terrible depression. And the enemies of Christ, in fact, I believe, had more faith in the resurrection of their enemy than the disciples did their best friend. What a lesson that we can learn from that today as well, can't we? Friends, we have been given so much truth. We have been given prophecy. We have been giving these miraculous things that give us so much detail on what is to come. And I'll tell you this much, our adversary, the devil, has been studying just as much as you have. In fact, he has not been studying just as much as you have. He has been studying a lot more than you have because he's had a lot more time to do so. Our enemy knows exactly what's going to be taking place. And friends, let us not fall into the same deception as the disciples of Jesus did, where our enemy has more faith in what God is going to do than God's own chosen people. God forbid that that happened to us. But Jesus, of course, is resurrected on that third day, and we praise God for that. Christ is risen, but then we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24. We're going to turn there today, Luke chapter 24, and it may be a pretty large passage of Scripture, but I want to read this with you so we get the whole point. And when I use the word disciple today, I'm not talking about the inner 12 disciples of Jesus. I'm just talking about the followers of Christ in general. Just wanted to clarify that because we're all called to be disciples of Jesus. Amen. So Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start here in verse 13. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. We pick up this story. Luke 24, 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which from Jerusalem was about threescore furlongs, so about seven, eight miles, about that. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So they had just seen who died, their Savior. They had just heard a rumor that he had been resurrected. And so these two friends are disciples of Christ. They're talking about the happenings. Verse 15, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So they didn't know that Jesus was walking with them. And he said to them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are what? Sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answering, said unto him, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? And has you not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had seen vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said to them, 
O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him and said, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. And there's more to the story that we can read, but we're not going to get into that today. You can finish it for yourself later. So there's so much in this passage that we can learn and that we're going to go over today. But this is fascinating. We already picked up that these two disciples of Christ, Cleophas, we know his name, they were walking together back home to Emmaus, which is about a seven, eight mile walk. And as they were walking there, they were obviously in a state of sadness. Their Savior, and they don't call him Savior, interestingly enough, they just say that he was a great prophet, which is interesting. They're walking along this way, and Jesus approaches them, and they don't realize who it is. And Jesus asks them a very simple question. Why is it that you seem so sad? But reading this text, it seems like that God hid from them that Jesus was walking with them. But in reality, we find something different. Desire of Ages puts, and isn't it wonderful that Spirit of Prophecy to give us detail on this stuff? Hallelujah for this, amen? Desire of Ages says this, they had heard the news of the morning in regard to the removal of Christ's body from the tomb, and also the reports of the women who had seen the angels and had met Jesus. They were now returning to their homes to meditate and pray. Sadly, they pursued their evening walk talking over the scenes of the trial and the crucifixion. Never before had they been so utterly disheartened, hopeless, and faithless. Notice that word, faithless. And faithless, they were walking where? In the shadow of the cross. These two men were walking in utter defeat. Their faith was shaken to the point that they were questioning everything. And more than that, the body of Jesus was gone and there were rumors floating around about what happened to them. They were distraught. I'd just like you to listen to this. It's the same quote here in Desire of Ages, but notice what it says. It says this, they had not advanced far on their journey when they were joined by a stranger. Now, this is the part I want us to notice. But they were so absorbed in their gloom and disappointment that they did not observe him accurately. Jesus was not trying to hide his identity of who he was. Jesus was not trying to test them or something like that, but Jesus walks up to them and they were so distraught, walking in the shadow of the cross like that paragraph says, they were so distraught and so faithless about what had just happened, they failed to recognize that their Savior was walking right next to them 
the entire way. And friends, today that happens to us so much, doesn't it? I mean, so often we get so confused and we get so focused on the terrible things and the rumors and the winds of false doctrine that's going to and fro that we forget that our Savior is following, leading, and beside us every step of the way. Amen? It reminds me of Peter when he was trying to walk upon the water, right? As soon as his eyes were off of Christ, what happened? He began to sink. It reminds me of the disciples that were there with Jesus and they were being tossed about to and fro in that terrible storm. And they were so focused on bailing themselves out of the situation and their skills as mariners that they forgot that Jesus was even in the boat. Friends, today we are walking down a pretty sad path. Friends, today it seems like that things are crumbling around us. Let's not forget that our Savior is right next to us. And please, please, I'm begging you, don't let him walk next to you as a stranger. So, I can imagine what Jesus must have been feeling there when the disciples here in this quotation, let me see if I can find it here, in Luke chapter 24, and where is it? Where it talks about the third day. I'm missing it right now. Verse 21, but we trusted that it had been he which had redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Jesus must have been sitting there or walking there just thinking, do you understand what you're saying? You're literally saying the exact same thing that I had been weeks ago, months ago, years ago. This is the third day. This is the day of promise. And you just are missing the whole point. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus, when he approaches these men, asks one simple question. Why are you sad? What are you talking about? Jesus could have stepped up to these men, revealed who he was, and he could have said, I know exactly what you're feeling right now. But he didn't. He simply asked the question, what are you talking about and why is this affecting you so much? Why are you so sad? Of course, he knew the answer, but most of this story that we see here is Jesus doing what? He's listening. Isn't that just such an example of who our God is? Jesus comes next to them and he listens to them talk about him, but he doesn't say much at all. He doesn't say anything at the beginning. He listens to them talk about who he was, and then he answers them in a very interesting way. Notice what it says here in verse 25. It seems rather harsh. These guys are sad, okay? And he answers them by saying, then he said to them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, this is interesting here. He literally calls them a fool. And some people might think that that's harsh. Jesus here in the original text, when you read it and study it out there, he's not calling them fools. He's saying that they're acting foolish. He's not saying that they're slow upstairs. What he's saying is, you guys are acting foolish because you haven't believed what the prophets have spoken. And this is amazing here, and I love this about Jesus. Jesus at this point could have performed a miracle. Jesus at this point could have had the rocks cry out. Jesus could have revealed 
who he was. Jesus could have done so many miraculous things that would have wowed these people, but remember how our Savior works. Christ never performed a miracle to prove who he was. Amen? And he will not in the last days either, and it's important that we remember that. But Jesus, who could have done all of these things, when it came time to prove who he was, where did he go? Scripture. Isn't that amazing? Jesus Christ, to prove the divinity of who he was, to prove his position as the Messiah, does not focus on what he could do physically, but he points them back to prophecy. He points them back, I believe, probably to the book of Genesis, where it's the first promise of the Messiah that would come to crush the serpent's head. I bet he went through the prophecies of Isaiah. I bet he talked to them about how the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a colt. I bet he went to Daniel chapter 9 and talked to them about the timeline. And Jesus studied and spoke to them about the prophets. Look what it says in verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus here has a Bible study with them. And I think that's so cool. But the walk is over. They still don't know who Jesus is. He's just some guy. And it's getting late. It's getting to be where the sun is setting. And notice what happens here in verse 28. It says, and they drew nigh unto the village where they went. Now, this is an important detail. And he made as though he would have gone further. Jesus did not assume that he was going to be invited into their home. Jesus did not invite himself into their home. And it's no wonder, because that's not how God works. Amen? God does not go somewhere where he is not invited. He will gladly go where he is invited, but Jesus here does not assume that he is going to be invited into these disciples' homes. In fact, verse 29, they had to talk him into it. It says, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is towards the evening. Friends, imagine what would have taken place if those two men had not invited Jesus into their home. They would have had an amazing conversation with some stranger on the road to Emmaus that probably boosted their faith in studying the scriptures. But if they wouldn't have invited Jesus into their home, he would not have been revealed to them. But they would have had, just put yourself into these disciples' moccasins for just a moment. These disciples could have found reasons not to invite Jesus in. I mean, they had just gone through probably the most dramatic period and emotionally draining point in their life. They had just seen Jesus crucified. They had just walked for seven, eight miles. They probably hadn't eaten in a while. They're exhausted. And they could have easily just said to themselves, I'm just so emotionally drained. I'm so exhausted. I'm so peopled out, or the excuses that we have today, I'm just going to let this guy take care of himself. He's a big boy. 
I'm going to get some sleep. That could have been an excuse these disciples could have had. Or they might have said to themselves, you know, we kind of left the house a little messy. And it would be really embarrassing to invite the stranger into our home when it's not in order. Maybe next time. Or these disciples could have just forgotten to invite him in and shirked their hospitality responsibility altogether. There could have been reasons and excuses they could have had not to invite Jesus in. But praise God, they did. You know, every time when we look at Scripture, when Jesus comes to people, he's looking for an invitation. Abraham in Genesis 18 is looking for an invitation into his tent. Manoah and his wife in Judges 13, when the angel of the Lord appears to them, that angel is looking for an invitation in. And of course, Jacob in Genesis 32, when he's wrestling with God, would not let him go until he blessed him. God does not force himself into a place where he is unwanted. And these disciples wanted him to come in, even though they didn't know who he was. Friends, I believe today that communion with the Lord is often broken by lack of intention rather than the lack of heart. Friends, today I believe that all of us, if I ask the question, how many of you want to invite Jesus into your home and your heart? All of you would say, well, absolutely. That's what my heart wants. That's, that's what I want. But friends, we have to be intentional about inviting Jesus into our homes and hearts. Amen? Friends, please never be too tired to invite Jesus into your home. Never be too ashamed about the state of your heart or thinking that your life may be too messy because he will create in you a new one. All these excuses we have on not inviting Jesus into our house, for lack of a better term, it's lame. (laughs) But you know, many of us invite Jesus to walk with us when we are out and about and doing our business. Often when we're on the road, we might ask the Lord, God, please be with me as I'm driving. Some of us, when we're going to our job, if it's outside of the home, we might say, Lord, as I'm dealing with my coworkers or clients or whatever it may be, Father, please walk with me. Help me to say what I should. Those things are good things to ask the Lord for. Often when we're in the store or in a social setting, we say, God, please give us divine appointments. And all of those requests for God to walk with us are good and we need to do them. But far too often when we get home, things change. When we're out and about in society and in the world today, we understand that we're weak, don't we? But our homes are our refuge, or they should be. You know, my wife does a really good job of when I get home, it's a place that I can kind of put my guard down. You know what I mean? Like home should be a place that when you walk in the front door, you can kind of, right? I hope you feel that way about your home. But friends, we should not be so comfortable in our own home that we shirk to invite Jesus in home with us each and every day. 
Often we invite Jesus with us in our work and whatever we're doing, but when we get home, the place that feels safe and warm and comfortable, we often forget to invite Jesus in because we're too focused on too many other things. Maybe we find something to take the place of our Savior, be it turning on a television set, mindlessly scrolling through Facebook, or maybe we're just so exhausted that we forget to invite him in. And friends, I've been there. And I'm sure there'll come a day that I do that again. But even though we might forget to intentionally invite Jesus into our home, it won't stop him from knocking. Amen? It won't stop him from walking with us each and every day. But friends, just because he's knocking does not mean that he's going to come in uninvited. We must invite not only Jesus into our homes, but into our hearts. For those men, these two men on the road to Emmaus, they invited a stranger into their home, and they soon realized that he was their best friend. And for some of us today, maybe you don't know who Jesus is very well yet. Maybe we've been professing for quite some time that we know exactly who Jesus is. But yes, even though we might know Jesus as a character of the Bible, doesn't mean that we know him as a friend or personally. Maybe you've just started your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've only just now begun to talk to him. But I tell you, if you receive Christ into your life as a stranger, you will soon know him as a friend. I can guarantee you that. Friends, we're walking on this year, and I appreciate what our elder said today on the platform about how many people are looking forward to 2021 being much better. And it may be. It may be a lull in the strife that has been in our world today. It may not be. But friends, today, no matter what may come our way, we need to continue to walk with Jesus. Let's not be so distracted on the doom and the gloom of what's happening all around us and forget that Jesus is coming at all because he is coming, amen? And that's the wonderful thing about Jesus. Not only has he been planning for his second coming for so long, but the way that he is preparing to come again is in his people. It's in you. Friends, the Bible is clear that we can hasten the second coming of Jesus. And just as much as we can hasten the second coming of Jesus, we can slow it down too. Jesus knows the day of when he is coming. And trust me, I believe that Jesus wanted to come a while ago. I've been impatient about the second coming of Jesus for almost my entire life, and I haven't lived for that very long. Imagine the impatience of Jesus. Of course, he's never impatient, but he's wanting to come, right? If there's anybody that's ready to come and chomping at the bit to come back, it's Christ because he's been waiting for so long. He's been watching what sin has been doing to his people. He's been watching his people reject the very message that he came and died for. In fact, he has been walking with his people 
each and every day for thousands of years, and so often they fail to recognize who's there. And you know, for those that have never opened their Bible, for those that have never been instructed in truth, they kind of get a pass on that because they don't know any better. They don't know who this man of Jesus is. They don't know this stranger that is walking next to them, but he's still knocking, amen? And Jesus will judge them appropriately and have mercy upon them. But friends, for us in this room today, there's no get-out-of-jail-free card, so to speak. There's no free pass because you know exactly the location of where Jesus is. You know exactly where Jesus is spending his time. He's right there. And friends, if we do not sense the presence of God in our lives, it's not because he's missing, it's because we're missing something. It's not the placement of where Jesus is if you don't feel close to him. It's that there's something in the way. And friends, if there's something in the way of your relationship with Jesus, it's not because he lacks the power to remove it. Christ can remove any barrier that's in the way of you and him. Do you believe that? That's not the problem. The problem is, am I willing to ask him to move whatever that thing is? Because so often we're in love with that very barrier that separates us from our relationship with Christ. I was talking to Brock the other day, and he said something that really struck me. We were talking about an issue that a lot of men have today, something that you can find on the internet with a few clicks of a button. And you guys know what I'm talking about. And he said to me, he said, you know, when you're viewing things like that, it's like putting up a wall between you and God. It's like putting up a wall between you and spiritual things. That Those two things can't coexist. They just can't. Your relationship with God just plummets when you're viewing that. And I so agreed with him when he mentioned that. But friends, today... I want to be as close to Jesus as I can. Don't you? I not only want him to walk beside me, but I want to hold his hand. I want to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can because this road that we're walking on gets difficult. And I need every help that I can get. But friends, it's not just about overcoming, although overcoming is very important. It's not just about getting through the valley of the shadow of death that I'm concerned about. But walking with Jesus, we begin to realize that it's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. Heaven is going to be wonderful. But even if there was no promise of heaven, and there is, I'm not trying to say there's not, Walking with Jesus, even on a sinful earth, would be worth it enough. Because I get to know my Savior intimately now. And if that's everything that Jesus offered me, I wouldn't change a thing. But that's not all that Jesus is offering you. He's not only promising you a beautiful relationship and meaning behind this life here, but he's offering you life eternal. 
and not just eternal life with your loved ones and how things are going now, but he's offering you life eternal walking with him. What a beautiful promise that he has given us. Friends, if we want to walk with Jesus throughout eternity, we have to start walking with Jesus now. And just like Enoch, I'm hoping that very soon the streets that you're walking will turn into streets of gold. I'm looking forward to that day. Father, Lord, we just want to thank you so incredibly much that you never leave us nor forsake us. Father, even when we do not recognize that you are standing next to us, even though we may ignore you sometimes willingly, Father, you never leave, you just keep knocking. Lord, help us to not leave you knocking, but help us to invite you in intentionally each and every day into our lives, into our home, into our churches. Father, we not only want to walk with you on this earth, but we cannot wait to see you face to face when you come. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Big Rapids Seventh-day Adventist Church at 1031 Rose Avenue in Big Rapids, and their church service begins at 9.30 a.m. Or visit the Bristol Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 11225 East 8 Mile Road in Tustin, and their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. Or visit the Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 17290 U.S. Highway 10 in Hersey, and their church service begins at 3 p.m. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.